Some movies are highbrow, some movies are lowbrow. Hello, welcome to Highbrow Lowbrow. I am your host, Josh Kirschenbaum. I'm Cooper Gagan. Each week we pick a topic and talk about two movies that fit that topic, one highbrow, one lowbrow. This week the topic is we're not doing that. This is a very special debate episode. Wah, 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 wah. Uh, really throwing you guys a curveball seven episodes in. We're going to be debating uh, if a movie, a certain movie is a highbrow movie or a lowbrow movie. Cooper, what's the movie? The movie is Moulin Rouge. The 2001 musical slash fever dream. Yep. And uh, the 2001 experience. <laughs> and I want to say when we when we came up with this episode before we rewatched it, um, we didn't think of it as one of us will be debating highbrow, one will be lowbrow. It was going to be more we we're kind of figuring it out ourselves because we didn't really know. But I think it ended up that way. Yeah. Since we've watched them and since we've chatted a little bit, we've done a little pre-gaming here. Uh, I think we have very clear positions, so this may yeah. end up being a um, uh, spicy hour. Okay, and a half. right right off the bat, I got a quick. I got a question for you. Okay, okay, I want you to think about your answer, think about it deeply. But I don't know what the question is. Okay, okay. is this the longest movie ever made? Moulin Rouge. Yes. No. I told you to think about it, Josh. I thought about it. It is not. I mean, I, I could tell you like what some of the longest movies. It certainly movies feels made. like it. Ooh, it is walked right into that. Seventeen hours long. It's like uh, it's like two hours and one minute. I think. Yeah, think should, this movie should be eighty-seven minutes long this and movie, have one song. I think this movie is perfect. Me, so so I gave I gave this movie five stars. Cooper gave this movie two stars. So I think I'm I'm arguing on the highbrow. He's arguing on the lowbrow. Um, and trying not to get too. I also I think dusty. it's lowbrow independently of me not really, really enjoying like the experience of watching it, which is also I think it's because I still think it's like a highbrow movie, but I do like I see the arguments there. The humor is very lowbrow. Uh, yeah, I think it is. The set direction is very high. Although the set direction is like very campy. It's very campy. I think. But okay, before we get into all that, let's just tell people what Moulin Rouge is. Oh yeah, because we're, it's a red windmill. Okay, we're, let's go. We're this about movie to get fucking into sucks. It. So Moulin Rouge uh, is a movie came out in two thousand one. It's a musical. Stars Ewan McGregor, uh, Nicole Kidman, uh, and a whole bunch of other people. Who's uh, the ringmaster guy? Uh, that's Jim Broadbent. He's great. Yeah, he is. Uh, you know, before we talk about Moulin Rouge, let's talk about how awesome Jim Broadbent is yeah. in this movie. He's so good. He is. It's like one of my favorite performances. Period. I think he's so funny. And it's, is, it's so many weird choices he makes. And it's fun because you think he's going to be the villain, and then he really doesn't turn out to be at all. No, he is what he is. He's the ringmaster of the Moulin Rouge. Like, yeah. he cares about the Moulin Rouge and yeah. about his people, and he's just, that's sort of his thing. Yeah, he's just chaotic neutral. This or movie, chaotic good. This movie has so much of him, and every time, it's like, looks so effortless. He's kind of like the MC from Cabaret. Yes. Where it's like a role that like doesn't have that much of a personality to it outside of his performances, but mm -hmm. there's so much going on in the performances. So he won an Oscar this year, not not this year, 2021, but the year of Moulin Rouge, but not for Moulin Rouge. He went for a, a, um, a biopic a biopic called uh, Iris, which I have not seen. Mm. And I think the vibe that year was that this was sort of, that award was sort of like for both of them. Oh, okay. Like when Alicia Vikander won for the Danish girl, but everyone was like, ah, it's kind of for Ex Machina as well. Right. Because um, otherwise, Oscars I think... Oscars like, are so weird that way. Because if, if, if it wasn't for that, like him not like walking to the Oscars, so that's, this performance would be like a travesty. But I think it's just one of those things like, oh, well, he's got a higher brow with Iris. Yeah. So let's, What's Iris about? Uh, it's about a woman named Iris. Oh. Sorry. I, it, it <laughs> well, that makes sense. Um, it's not it's, about an eyeball? Uh, or a flower. It, it, it's about, a, I believe it's about an like a famous author or an artist, mm. and he plays the husband role, and he's like supporting Judy Dench. Got it. I think Kate Winslet is in it in like the same role in a different... 
era. I used to have this book about the Oscars that like went every into every year and all the movies and what the, the campaigns were like, and I that, that's what I'm drawing on right now. But I haven't read that book in since college, really. Um, so for Jim Broadbent's great. So uh, Moulin Rouge, yeah, uh, directed by Baz Luhrmann, who yep. is uh, a, an insane person, uh, a truly unique man. What are what are what's another Boz movie? Uh, Romeo plus Juliet. Is Romeo plus Juliet. One. I like Romeo plus Juliet. I'm not. I a, haven't seen it since high school. I'm not as big a fan, but I'm also a pretty big fan of the book. Um, <laughs> of Romeo plus Juliet, the book that yes. it's based on. Um, but then he's he's had some other weird. I mean, Strictly Ballroom was his breakout. I haven't seen mm-hmm. that. I mean, then he has Australia and the Gatsby movie. Australia's a big flop. Yeah, yeah. Um, With the Huey Jacks. Yes, it yeah. is a it is also a musical, and I've never even heard. It's a, a, I didn't even know it was a musical, right? Because the trailer has no songs in it, and I've I've ne- that movie is such a small footprint that I've never even accidentally heard a clip of anyone singing from it. Also, I'm, Nicole Kidman, right? Yeah, also Nicole Kidman, the famous Australians. Yes. Um. So. I want to, okay. I want to get the plot out of the way because we talked we talked about it beforehand. Like we go, we spend too much time on the plot. Let's just do some quick spoilers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ewan so, McGregor. He's a guy. He writes. He, he moves goes, much like Cabaret. He moves to too much Paris. detail. Too much detail. Too much detail. Okay. He write. He, he wants to write a play. Lo- too much detail. Too much detail. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He he's a writer in Paris with a bunch of artists. He falls in love with a singer slash prostitute. Satine. Satine, played by Nicole Kidman yep. at the Moulin Rouge, which is a can can show slash brothel. And uh, they put on a show, and they have to be. The love has to be secret because she has to pretend to be in love with the benefactor of the show, who is the Duke. The Duke. Um, and then she just dies of tuberculosis. Yeah, as then, everyone did. Right. Okay. So I mean, Hugh McGregor is going to die of tuberculosis. Yeah, we all. Well, also because he's been making out with a woman with tuberculosis, tuberculosis for seventeen hours. Yeah. Uh, so that's the movie. Uh, what were you arguing about before I wanted to get the plot? Was just whether, whether the movie's this movie's good? good. This movie's great. <laughs> it's so. It's just so long. I. Um, it took me like five hours to watch this movie because I kept on having to like take breaks to do other stuff. Can I let me let me seed a point to you very quickly? Okay. Um, which is a thing that normally I wouldn't like about a movie, but and for some reason it works here. I think Moulin Rouge. This movie has absolutely tremendous theater kid energy. Yeah, that's not a selling point. I I, I know, and normally when because I have a a, a very a hate hate relationship with theater kids, mm-hmm. and I think it's this movie is so try hard as well. Like that's kind of what I'm going for. It has this sort of ha ha, everybody look at me, don't make me sing, like which vibes. makes sense because it is about those types of people. Yes, and I think what makes this movie work for me is it's so shameless. Like I feel like sometimes movies like this, they're trying to be like, "Oh, everybody loves this, everyone loves," this. and like I feel like Moulin Rouge does not really care if it's cringy at times. Certainly does not. If it's like, it, I think the doesn't uh, care if the music is like enjoyable to listen to. I think the like emotional earnesty of the earnestness, earnesty, earnestness of this movie is unlike anything that's like ever been put on film. Like even just talking about like Nicole Kidman's performance in the um the the scene oh, when she's elephant. like growl, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Like that to me is the movie. Is like it is so balls to the wall, willing to be like, like what if you truly believed all the choruses of all the songs you love? And I think there's something like so like potent in that that like this movie just freaking gets me. That I think a lot of other musicals or theater kid kind of things don't quite get. It's yeah, it's kind of like if Jeff Koons made a movie, but like, <laughs> okay. So I'd say one big thing I I like that aspect of it. Like I like how silly it is. Like when they're all kind of like making stuff up as they go along, and yeah. like they make up like pretty intricate plot for a movie, right. which is fun because that's not a thing that you could really do on the spot, but they just do it because it's a movie. And I do yeah. like that. The the pitch scene where they um uh. 
where the Duke catches are the two main characters and they have to pretend they were rehearsing a, a play that doesn't exist. So yes. Ziggler comes in, they all do, they basically do a song set to the can-can. Yeah. And um, then it cuts, my favorite joke in the movie is that cutting to them just jumping up, hopping up and down. Yes. That's very funny. <laughs> it's, it's stuff like that. And like, I think in order to get moments like that, which, yeah, them jumping up and down is just like, cause they're doing all this, the movie is so much choreography and fancy yeah. stuff and then just hopping. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, I like the opening number. I like that number. I don't think the movie ever recaptures that energy or like fun. It's never fun again. I think uh, well, it's just slow ass ballads and shitty covers. Uh, I would mean I would disagree, but I also say they're missed for forgetting the like a virgin scene. I think that scene is oh so funny. Wait, when when Ziegler? Yes. Okay, that's Z- fun. That's yes, fun. Yeah. Where the Duke like gets. But it's up a by bad cover of like a virgin. I think it's a good cover because it's doing what it is trying to I do. I think I do think that the song choice, like the fact that it's like a juke, that's a jukebox musical, right? Yeah. When you that, yeah. the, the jukebox musical aspect of it really sinks it because they're all like the most horrible cover of Roxanne. Roxanne. Oh, we're gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have to pause so I can punch you in the nose. I Are think, you kidding? I, think I like the police. That I think, song is a crime. I'm hundred percent. I think that, actually this this is like inverse La La Land, where it's like the dancing's really good and fun, <laughs> and the music just sucks ass and it just drags it down. I feel like this episode's going to be like twenty minutes because it's just us going to be saying like you saying everything is bad. I'm be saying everything is good. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think the Tango Roxanne scene is brilliant. I think that song is awesome. Uh, fun thing about that song is it's weirdly very common for figure skating. Huh. Like a lot of figure skaters use it, and like I think one of the um like it, one of the uh, figure skaters who used it won I think either silver or bronze in the 2018 uh, Winter Olympics. Like I was googling beforehand because I thought it was just like one. And apparently, it's just like very common, which huh. is weird because you wouldn't think of it. It's like part of like what makes that sequence so like crackerjack for me is that it's very like like rough around the edges. That it's very like like aggressive, and I think that really fits for like the emotions of that yeah. scene. I, it like makes sense on paper, but it just is an assault on the ears. Like it just hurts my head to listen to because it's bad sounding. It just <laughs> makes me sad and angry. <laughs> Much like also like the fact that like it's weird because there's like the whole thing where like everything's like a weird mashup of like four songs. Yes, which is great, which is a good thing. It's just like so tryhardy <laughs> and like trying to be cool, but bad. It also, I, I guess is, I think I don't think it's trying to be cool. I think it's it, just trying. It, I think it very. The juke, no. I feel like any jukebox musical is like trying Hard, to be cool. In that I way. don't think so. I think this movie is so out there that I don't think it cares if it's like hip or cool. Like I was alive I in think 2001. If they were, this was not in. Like I just, like saw this around that time. Like people did not watch this and think, "Oh wow, that's neat," or like this is what they're going for. I think like it's just this is just Boz's brain, and he's just like, "Hey everybody, look at my brain," and then that's the, that's the, his career. See, but the thing is, like, if these were like original songs and were just like thirty slow ballads back to back, and then like a tango scene with like a, another like shitty growled ballad, I'd be like, "Okay, this is just music, a style of music I don't like." But it's Roxanne. I know I like Roxanne. This is bad. <laughs> but that's why I like the Roxanne because, like, I think what this movie understands and like that I think a lot of everything doesn't is that is that meth is fun is that meth is fun is that Bollywood is great um the is is that like the songs we listen to and sing along to we don't really listen to them very closely we just sort of like you know nod our heads and we like we like the tune it you know it's the pumped up kicks joke of like everyone like sings along to that happy song that's about like a school shooting yeah and I think this is like a movie that's just like takes every single pop song you like at face value at face value 
You could also say that is just not listening to that is just doing the same thing. No, I think it's I think it's actually listening to the lyrics and listen and like trying to like take that like like when he sings "All You Need Is Love," like everyone knows that song by the Beatles, and like the characters that in this movie react like "All You Need Is Love," like yeah. all the, in, you don't need a, like air, you don't need food. Like I think that level of like like grappling with these lyrics as actually like saying things and not just like as like words to a beat is what makes this movie like really special. And I think that's what the uh, the Roxanne thing like gets. Like it's like the like absolute like emotional energy of like you don't have to sell your body to the night like that uh, i think sting is really underselling it in his original i feel like roxanne roxanne is one of those songs that like when you're young people like don't you you know that song's about like a prostitute right and you're like yes of course it is yeah that's very text of the song it's not like a hidden (laughs) meaning uh fun fact about the um the guy who sings the tango roxanne Mm-hmm. Um, the narcoleptic Argentinian. Yeah, Polish, not Argentinian. Oh, yeah, Polish Australian. I should cancel him. I looked. <laughs> that is oh, that my... is Argentinian erasure, and we do not stand for that. <laughs> uh, he's, and um, oh, there's another actor who I, who I like. Um, also Polish. No, no Nicole no. Kidman's Polish. It's the guy. Sorry, I know I'm off topic, but I had this. I don't know when we're ever going to get to this guy. But the um, no, let, no, we're playing. We have a new segment called Spot the Pole. This guy who say the guy who saves Satine when she's about to be like attacked by the Duke. Mm. Uh, he has very little lines in it. He, He's like, also in the company with her. Yeah, he catches her when she falls. Yeah, yeah. He um, uh, that actor Diogo Opry was cool. Uh, I I know I remember him because he was cast in Game of Thrones as one of the guardsmen in Dorne. Mm. And in the book, it's like a major character that's like very interesting. Yeah, and he did all these interviews, uh, like how he was, loved the book. He was so excited for this role. People didn't understand that it was like actually kind of like a very like crucial piece of this. Mm-hmm. And like you have those pictures of him, like I did all this axe training on my own time just because I love the books. I, I think. Like, oh, that guy, big axe guy. Yeah, yeah. And then he, he does, just holds a big axe. Right. He has no lines, and he dies in three episodes. And I remember seeing that and just being like, ah, oh, this poor man, because he. And I think I've seen him in stuff since, and he's a very good actor. Mm-hmm. But I just remember that being just like the saddest thing. So now that man, every time I see that man's face, I'm just like, man, you deserve better. We yeah. all deserve better, but you deserve better. He too, just gets buddy. cast to hold things, holding an axe, holding, holding Nicole a Kidman. <laughs> they saw Mulan Rouge like this guy looks like he could hold an axe. Nicole Kidman is about as heavy as an axe. Um, let's talk. Um, Let's move on from the, the Roxanne sequence because I think we've we've before we punch each other in the It's so good. I know I, you ate it. It, it well that's tough. Just, like what what do you how do you we're both it's not we're both like feeling a different part of an elephant here. We're both staring at an elephant and I'm like, yeah, and I'm like sport. that elephant is clearly sick. <laughs> and I'm like, that elephant is doing his best <laughs> and it's great. <laughs> I think it's also like I don't really like love ballads. I mean, and that'll that's hurt, yeah. most of this movie, which I I understand is not really the movie's fault. But like I I usually I understand a movie like this to have like one of those songs <laughs> or two maybe, not thirteen back to back in three minutes in yeah. one sequence, and then another sequence where they do that again. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah. Notes. I, I don't mean, know. I, have, I was just I like notes, but I, don't I was know like eight hours saying. into this movie. I was like, <laughs> I can't listen to All You Need Is Love for the fifteenth time. I, I also a thing I, I do like the movie kind of sneaks in a lot of bunch of songs you don't remember like they, like it does Nature Boy by Nat King Cole like mm-hmm. a bunch of times like I always forget that that's a thing it does um, I mean the it always I know it's like a big one but the throwing in smells like Teen Spirit oh I did like that a lot. I I so love great. I love little marching guys in yeah. the uh, taxi or not even tuxedos they're like they're like kind of tuxedos they're like old time whatever what are the things with tails are called 
for like white tie events. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. White tie is like a thing. Those are great. I like their little, little, the choreography is really good in this movie. Really well choreographed. Yeah. Especially great at like little steps and little jumps. (laughs) Great inclusion. Um, I hate it. They're called diamond dogs. It's super lame and I hate it. And I got so mad. (laughs) Which is funny because that's a Ted Lasso thing now. So all you think of was Ted Lasso. That's pretty funny. I don't know why the theater kid energy works for me so well here and in no other thing that has that energy. Yeah. It's funny because it makes me think of A Knight's Tale, which is a movie that does a very similar thing with like... With inc- Queen. Well, yeah. And, and just including modern songs in a period context. I mean, the brilliant part of A Knight's Tale is that like, oh, they're singing We Will Rock You mm-hmm. at like essentially a sports venue. So you get the same vibe as you would for like a football game, but it's a jousting event, which is what it would have felt like to be there. Yeah. Which is also what they do here with like the can-can. Because like it's like how in like Deadwood they can't swear like they would at the time because they'd just be saying like "all oh, darn it" yeah and it wouldn't like they wouldn't be scary yeah you get the energy of this like awesome venue that would have been like the happening place right in a way that is translated in a way that you like will grok that yeah. you will actually like, get yeah and it's great and then they do seventeen love ballads for like two years <laughs> I guess the issue here is you don't like love. I don't. I certainly don't <laughs> want to hear about it for that long. See, I do. I think. It, I mean, this is a movie. I don't that dislike is, love. I don't like that style of music. I think this is a movie that, where, like, obviously wears not just its own heart on its sleeve, but, like just sleeves. It's just hearts taping hearts to sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> this this just came to me, but the remember uh, Interstellar movie. I don't particularly um, mm-hmm. care. For I have it. not seen. Um, there's a speech that Anne Hathaway gives in the middle that was somewhat. Um, um, I don't know. The internet didn't like it. It was yeah. it was like she just talks about how like love is so important that it like transcends space and time. And like in the middle of Interstellar, that which is a movie that really tries to be like I'm using quote remarks like realistic about space travel and like mm-hmm. all this other kind of stuff. Uh, it, I don't think it lands super well. Although there's some people like that. Yeah. And I feel like this movie is like that energy, but like it's the whole movie. Like that's why it works for me. It's like it's a movie that genuinely believes like when the literal transcendent power of being in love with someone. And like that is like the full energy of that thing and all those songs and all of that. And like if that's not something you want to buy into or like that works for you, then like this movie must be like being stabbed in the ear. I mean, I don't think it failed at doing that. And that's why I didn't enjoy it. I think that's cool that you got that out of it, but it doesn't bother me that I didn't get that out of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we both work in the entertainment industry and watching this, I was just like this fucking dumbass writer got the biggest, luckiest break of his life and he's just fucking pork in the main cast and he's gonna fuck up everything i'm just like god damn it you got your first play produced i would kill to be in your position and you're just spending the whole time singing at the lead actress trying to sync this play because Why that's how important these love is stupid pretty people just running around set being worthless and not understanding how hard it is to get things made because that's how important love is to that like that's what i think the movie's like saying is like all these like real world like yeah it would be if you could just like be chill and just like have an affair like things would work out but like love is so powerful to him and to them that like it's willing to break this all that man logic. does not deserve to be the writer of a play <laughs> but he does deserve to be in love with the, the woman and have her love him back no and that's what no. the movie is saying <laughs> he does not <laughs> he shouldn't have been there no and just like poor Ziegler is like I put everything on the line to produce this stupid show for my because my actress wants so desperately to be an actress but he and also wants to be fucking it up I think he also wants to be a little more legitimate like yeah. he also has that desire to I think he enjoys being the ringmaster of the Mooners but also he wants to yeah, they all want legitimacy right and I think that's like very understandable but I think he's also like on her side like he's not like talking down to her for being in love it's just more like 
this isn't going to work because the Duke will kill you, and also you're dying anyway. Like, I think he's also he, like, stop fucking up my production that I put together. I don't really see that energy in him very much. I think it's a lot more like he doesn't get mad at her really for doing it. He's just like, you can't do it. Right. Yeah. It's a lot more like reasonable of like, like you're dying. He'll kill you. This can't happen. It's not like, like he's not like mad at her on a personal level. I would be. Yes. But you're also not Harold Ziegler, <laughs> ringmaster of the Moulin Rouge. Yeah. God, God damn it. I couldn't do that. <laughs> no one can but Jim Broadbent. It's such a good performance. He's very good. It's like insane. Yeah. <laughs> I do love uh, John Leguizamo as Toulouse Lautrec. Uh, that, I did not realize that was, that was John Leguizamo. Yeah, not something you get away with anymore. Is he supposed to be literally Toulouse the Trek? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because, um, like I said, I think, like, like I said when we were not recording, um, Moulin Rouge started as a book about a Toulouse the Trek, mm-hmm. and then, which is not like super well remembered. I think that was loosely adapted. Uh, this is from me reading Wikipedia a week ago. Um, loosely adapted into a musical in the fifties, right? Which is like a clad, pretty standard Hollywood musical, and then this one is pretty much just an original work do they ever mention him being a painter no yeah that's why that's why i was confused about him Mm -hmm. whether he was supposed to like literally be to lose track or they just used that name yeah and just like heavily changed him i mean i so this was the first time when i saw this movie i'd even heard the name to lose oh yeah Um, famous french painter hung out in brothels a lot yeah so and then i didn't know who he was until he he pops up in um uh midnight in paris Hmm. as like a um um it's this whole thing of like Woody Allen, uh, not Woody Allen, Owen Wilson playing Woody Allen. Often confused. Well, he's playing the Woody Allen role, but okay. he, he's like his whole thing is he idolizes, you know, the the lost generation in Paris. Mm-hmm. And so he sometimes travels back in time there because that's what the movie's about. And then when he gets there, he meets someone who is always idolizing like the Belle Epoque and idolizing the Louisville Trek. And mm-hmm. the idea is that you're old, you can always look back to something else that's idealized. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Good movie. Um, we will probably won't cover it. On, I don't know. I don't know. When, when would we? I would, it would have I, been a time travel one, actually. That would be neat. Just time tra- time travel romance. I mean, Midnight in Paris is good. I don't. I don't know that we want to get into the Woody Allen of it all. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I mean, I understand. Like, I, I, I mean, a lot of great movies from Woody Allen. I think I, I do really understand the impulse to just wait it out until he dies to talk about him again. Yeah, I think it's fine. It's I, be another I've never six, seven ones. I've never been. <laughs> you got something in the works. <laughs> I think Time's got something in the works. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never been a a big uh, Woody Allen fan, so it kind of is easier for me to ignore his movies. It's, it's hard to explain unless you're like a nebbish New York Jew, but like, he speaks to people like that. Yeah. Um, yes, as a Grecian god <laughs> carved of stone, I cannot relate. Yeah, it's all that surfing. Yeah. <laughs> Which um, I didn't do today. I just drove to a beach, looked at the water, and came back because I forgot my wetsuit. Uh, it's funny. We actually already already hit a lot of the sequences I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I think we're almost done. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be the shortest episode. No, I I do. So what we, one thing we haven't done is talk about the highbrow lowbrow bit of it all. Oh right. Well, okay. I think Drupak musical lowbrow. Yeah. Um, a lot of like slapstick humor lowbrow. Yeah. A lot of really giant performances lowbrow. Um, I would push back on that slightly. Like it like, like like Toulouse, like Leguizamo's performances and all of like the little theater nerds in the beginning, their performances. Because there's like um, there's lowbrow big performances like Will Ferrell, like Ricky Bobby, like that's like you know very broad and slapsticky, which I think people see as lowbrow. But mm-hmm. then there's like uh, uh, you know Al Pacino chewing scenery. Which is reads as highbrow, even though like I think it's not always the best acting. Although I well, do really appreciate that. I mean, I, I, I would say Jim Broadbent is highbrow chewing scenery in this. Right, I think he's like a lot. He's a lot like the MC in Cabaret, where he's just like it's a giant role that is just like 
so good and fun. Yeah. No, I would 100% agree. I mean, I think on the acting note, I think it kind of buries one of the cast. Like, mm-hmm. I think the Duke is kind of, like, right on the line where, like, he's so cartoonish, but that's kind of what I like about that yeah, role. Yeah, he's very cartoonish. But, like, all the little theater guys, like, the Paul, Paul Schaefer as... <laughs> is that Paul Schaefer? No. <laughs> I was like, I was thinking, like... It's a bald guy who plays piano in the movie. It is. I think it looks like Moby, but it also is Moby. Okay, yeah, it also could be Moby. <laughs> Easily could be Moby. Or Jim Rash. It's just, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jim Rash would be good in this. Paul, Paul Shearer. Just famous bald white men. The bald whites? <laughs> they could start a barbershop quartet. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that'd be pretty ironic because none of them have hair. <laughs> um, Who's the other one? Kate, Corey Stoll? Corey Stoll, yeah, Corey Stoll. I mean, I think I, I think Corey Stoll and Paul Shearer get confused for each other a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure Paul Paul Shearer people walk up and be like, ah, I thought you were taller and more handsome. Hey, don't you say it about <laughs> Paul Shearer? I love Paul no, Shearer. no, it's more that Corey Stoll is a very handsome man. Yeah, yeah. Um, As is Paul Shearer. I, I like Paul Shearer. I've been listening to a lot more. How did this get made? Recently. I love that show. Uh, he's really, really good on that show. Right. So the acting, I think, I, th- I do agree that. The, I'll, I'll say this: I don't think it's like a slam dunk that Moulin Rouge is like a highbrow movie. I don't think that like yeah. it's not like I you know I watched uh, Bright Star this week and that's like a very hoity-toity period piece I'm like okay highbrow high like mm-hmm. check it off but, like I think Moulin Rouge does have a lot of in lowbrow tendencies like the, yeah. the jukebox musical of it all um, the slapstick humor mm-hmm. although you do you can see that in highbrow stuff sometimes yeah for sure and I will say the highbrow stuff is like the set design is mm-hmm. not only like beautiful and like intricate and well crafted but mm-hmm. also like it's got like a big concept for the set, which is basically just like it's like a theater stage because I, I think it seems like everything in the movie is taking place on one set and they're just kind of like moving from like part to part of this like stage, uh, especially toward, towards the, the end. I think once they get out of the apartment, it always feels like they're on a stage somewhere. Yeah, because like you can see the Moulin Rouge from like, well, I guess the elephant's in the Moulin Rouge. Yes. I got confused about the elephant. I feel like the elephant moves around. Yeah, I think it's in the courtyard of the Moulin Rouge. Right. Is the idea. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I, I agree with all that. I think and like, was, yeah, and like the backdrops are like obviously backdrops, yeah. but like not in like a Marnie. This just sucks as a backdrop way. It's like on purpose, but it looks good. Yeah. Like, what's that reference, Marnie? In Marnie, there's one scene where they're at like a shipyard, and it's just like a big old shitty painting of a ship, and it sucks. I hate Marnie. Marnie? Am I, am I, am I, the Hitchcock movie. Oh, yeah. I was like breaking my head. I was like, Marty? Yeah, <laughs> Marty. Yeah, it's not a notable Marty? part of Marnie. I shouldn't have said that. Like you would have known what I was talking That's about. Fair. I mean, I, I Marnie's one I haven't. I just haven't seen. It's one of yeah. those kind of like next tier of Hitchcock that I haven't like yeah. come down. To I only yet. saw it because I w- took a Hitchcock class yeah. in college. Oh yeah, I mean, the one we, film class I took that taught me I hate Hitchcock. Yeah, it's funny because like you've talked a lot about how much you like Hitchcock is just like not your guy. Yeah, that's and, why. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've taken a lot of film classes, but like and some of which I didn't like, but. I mean, I like the class and like filmmaker. It's really funny. The one you took is the guy who just doesn't speak to you at all. Yeah, we didn't have a film program, so slim pickings in, in Princeton. No, mm. they have like the film. They had a kind of a film department that was like a subset of the visual arts department, but there were only four people in it. Interesting, and it wasn't really like a real film production program. Because yeah, I went to, I mean, I went to a small liberal arts school in, in the Midwest, and we had a. And I guess now I'm thinking how lucky it was to have it. They had a really good film department, a lot of good like film classes. They had just started to get like more equipment and stuff in there. That's cool. Yeah, good stuff. Um, never took a Hitchcock class, though. I did watch a lot of Hitchcock movies mm. for uh, like my genre film class, things like that. That's cool. Yeah, I think it, I would have benefited from taking like kind of like a like a survey class. On, oh, just like, like an intro to... Honestly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're cool. I mean, I will say some of these, the early, it's like, you know, how many times you need to watch Birth of a Nation to understand cross-cutting? Like, mm-hmm. I think some of the other classes I took were a little more interesting once you get past that. 
but you, you do need to learn the theory. I don't know. Whatever. Get, this is a pro film theory and studying film podcast, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's, we'll talk about something else because this is getting really dry. Um, so Moulin Rouge. Yeah, uh, let's wet this down. Highbrow because – I'll make a couple points. I mean, I agree with the set dressing, all very highbrow. Mm-hmm. I think um, two things – one thing that doesn't really matter but kind of matters is how it, the movie is positioned by – in its release – I think this movie like what it's not always doesn't always matter but like it was positioned as like a big oscar play it's a big period piece yeah um it's trying to say like oh this is, the movie itself is trying to say like, this is an important movie yeah or and maybe not important but certainly uh heavy why is period is period almost always highbrow just because it's expensive i think so i i also there's... think that period um it's harder to do classic lowbrow stuff in period unless you're doing a parody yeah like you can't really do like extraction in the belly pock, you know, extraction the, the, the Chris Hemsworth I'm, I'm movie. I'm kind of into it though. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, yeah, we should write that movie and sell it right now. Yeah. But like, it's hard. Well, it's hard. That. It's also hard to sell because it's like five times as expensive as it would be otherwise. Right, and like, I think the it's also the market speaking. Like, people who want to see period pieces want to see those kind of heavier highbrow stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the market for like Pride and Prejudice might not be in the market for Pride and Prejudice and zombies. Yeah, I think yeah, it's like the same as like. There's no lowbrow black and white movies because people who like lowbrow movies would reject them. Right. Yeah. I, I've told that story when I saw uh, I saw Casino Royale. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy was sitting next to you almost walked into the theater because the opening two seconds of that or like 30 seconds of that movie is in black and white. And he was like furious that I tricked him into seeing a black and white movie. Yeah. Um, I like Yeah. You, you forget. I mean, as like people who watch a lot of movies, you forget how much people like cannot stand black and white it's a bummer and and it's coming back a little more i feel like you know we got more black and white movies this year um i mean tragedy of Macbeth is one that's always very like you know just very visually out there mm-hmm. um, you know like belfast and roma and things like that yeah i would say there's off it's hard to make a case for making a modern black and white movie usually yeah you have to it basically has to be like an art film it has to be yeah. an artist who said, this is like my soul speaks in black and white today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Moon Highbrow. So how it's positioned, I think, matters. Not not. It's not like, you know, you can't just take the movie at face value. If a movie says I'm important, I can say, no, you're not. Um, <laughs> but um, and the period piece and the setting, the story, you know, doomed love story. Mm-hmm. People die at the end of a movie. Highbrow. Well, romance, not necessarily a highbrow. Not necessarily. But I think doomed romance usually highbrow mm. usually yeah i guess because like rom-coms are not doomed romances right it's right there in the com yeah well no you can have a rom-com where they just don't get together in the end that's true but they usually don't die oh you're talking Again, about, you're usually. talking about like okay actually dying oh, yeah sorry doom is a heavy word doomed doom. in- <laughs> I, I thought you meant doomed in terms of like doomed to break up yeah i would not describe like the jennifer aniston movie the breakup as a doomed romance <laughs> just sort of an annoying one what if that was the, like the poll quote for it like a doomed romance you're like oh, i gotta see this uh i don't remember anything about that movie um so i think they break up i i think so too i remember john favreau is very funny in that movie uh, he's always funny. he's like the friend and he's just sort of like trying to make that movie interesting i don't know maybe it's good maybe i can go back and it'll be like a little better I don't know. Is there a pairing we could do it with? with the breakup? Yeah. Uh, marriage story? Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> God uh, yeah, the more recent trend of just, like, movies about, like, normies being married is, I cannot, there's no genre I care about less than just, like, yeah, scenes from a marriage. I'm like, great, 
get don't want I don't want to see that. I don't want to see people's scenes from marriages. That was a weird one because that's like a fam- very famous, very acclaimed Ingmar Bergman series. Oh. From the seventies. And like, man, I would not have the chutzpah to uh, try and attempt to remake an Ingmar Bergman movie. No. Um the other thing I think about Moon Rouge is highbrow. Um it kind of goes back to my emotional earnestness argument is that I think it's any movie that's doing kind of out there experimental like very aggressive uh, directorial choices, yeah. I think is much more highbrow than than I. And not necessarily, you know, just because like you know, just because Star Wars has a tracking shot doesn't make it highbrow. Mm-hmm. But this movie is very much trying to have a very specific and often off-putting when it wants to be aesthetic. Yeah, no, there's a lot of visual decisions in this movie. Yeah, and I think that kind of thing reads as highbrow to me. I think ultimately what put me over onto the highbrow side is is that is that like this is a movie that is more uh, um, a voice of this specific person, Bos Lerman's like heart, brain, artistic temperament, than it is trying to play into other stuff. Which I a lot of times when the hybrid lowbrow movie is trying to like be a certain template, which is often uh, not always, but often thing. And I think this movie is so unique and so earnest. It's just brain stuff vomiting everywhere. Like, yeah, no, for me, it's like it's like a meth head who found a ball gown. <laughs> Like, yes, there it looks nice, but underneath that, there's just a lot of just incoherent screaming thoughts and actions. Uh, anyway, that's why I think it's more much more on the highbrow side is is that is basically I think it's um, I think that's the voice. I think it's more interesting that way. I think that it has it has it's it's trying to do interesting things. I think the like the nod is I'm trying to think of like another jukebox musical like, like Mamma Mia is probably like the nod is, is mm-hmm. the lowbrower version. Yeah, jukebox musicals. Yeah, I guess like, or like Rock, Rock of Ages. Maybe yeah. I haven't seen Rock of Ages, but I think that's kind of what this movie's doing. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you could do a jukebox musical that's just much, that's just unabashedly highbrow. Like, that's not even like a question. I just don't know how you can do anything. Art's interesting. I mean, yeah, like I guess the song choices because usually jukebox musicals are like pop songs, but right. there's other songs. Right. What if you just only did just like Brian Eno? Yeah, it's just sounds. <laughs> The LCD sound system jukebox musical. I'd be into that. That would be really, really sad. I mean, that's it'd be, basically... it'd be a it'd just it'd be a house party. And Daft Punk would show up, right? Um, Ewan McGregor. Let's talk about Ewan McGregor. Just he's cause... great. He's in a lot of lowbrow. St- he's in like a wide range of quality of movies. I think he's a really interesting actor for if you just track his career. Yeah, because like, he got blows, starts off with train spotting, blows up with like this huge performance in this huge movie, mm-hmm. like a huge artistic movie. Yeah. Um, from his native Scotland, and then he has the falling out with Danny Boyle, right? Uh, and then he's in like Star Wars and stuff like that for a while. Yeah, I like, feel like he kind of got. Well, what did he do right after Star Wars? I'm trying to did think. Did he get stuck in like big blockbuster stuff? I'm trying to think because that's the thing. Because I obviously I know. Him, oh, he, he's, he's also wanted, right? No, no, he's not wanted. No, that's James McAvoy. Oh, did McAvoy shit. just secretly take all the Hugh McGregor roles? Maybe because McGregor's in TV now. He <clears throat> he he was in Halston. He won uh, an Emmy for that, and he's very good in Fargo. Oh uh, yeah, he's very good in Fargo. I yeah. love Fargo. No, I think he's a really really good actor. I really like him in this movie. Although I don't think he's the standout as much as Nicole Kidman and especially Jim Broadbent are. Um, um yeah, I mean honestly, his character is a little bit less interesting mm-hmm. as just a person than Nicole Kidman's character. Yeah. 
and I, I, I mean, I, and to be, I also want to give credit where it's, you know, we always talk about is it the writing, is it the performance? I do think Nicole Kidman is doing a lot in this movie. Oh, yeah. She, I think it is her a really role doesn't have to be interesting, and it is. And she's, yeah, I mean, it's one, like I said, it's the the fearlessness of her, like, willing to be cringy and weird and unlikable in the scenes, especially mm-hmm. like the, the scene of the elephant. And just, she just hits every beat. It, it's a really good performance. Oh, he was in Black Hawk Down. Oh, you're right. I forgot. Man, Every every like white man between the ages of like twenty three and twenty nine in two thousand was in that movie. Okay, let's see. So then, <clears throat> so Star Wars Episode two mm-hmm. after that. So like in between one Star Wars Episode one and two, he does Moulin Rouge, Black Hawk Down, mm-hmm. and then after two, he's in Big Fish. He's young Ed Bloom. He's so, in Robots, which might have been bad for him. <laughs> I um. I have As seen robots. Rodney Copperbottom. Rodney Copperbottom. Yeah. I. I. Okay. I have seen robots. I remember very little except it's a lot of Robin is he Williams. The lead? Yes, he's the lead. Yeah. Robin Williams is like the sidekick. Mel Brooks is in that movie. Oh. And that's everything I remember. And then there's like an evil corporation. Of, mm. of like bad robots. Right. That sounds silly. Let's let's pair up robots with um. Ex Machina. Okay. Okay. Or Ex Machina and iRobot. The Will Smith. I think that would actually be better because iRobot, I think, is going for the same themes as Ex Machina. Yeah, it's very much about what it means to be a robot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not, not what it means to be alive. What it means to be a robot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Will Smith can't convincingly play alive. Yeah. Um, he's in The Island and then a bunch of stuff I don't recognize. Yeah, Island's bad movie. Yeah. Oh, I Love You, Philip Morris, which I think is supposed to oh, be good. he's very good in that. Yeah. Yeah, him and Jim Carrey. That's a that's a um, very unique movie. I yeah. think it's sort of like, it, it's hard to describe, but I think it's worth checking out. Yeah, then Angels and Demons, Men Who Stare at Goats, Beginners. Uh, he's, you know, he's, kind of, he's doing like a lot of uh, kind of indie stuff. Oh, Haywire. Oh, he's good in Haywire. Yeah. He just, he doesn't, he's not into much of it. But he's he's in a million ways to die in the West. Oh, man, I saw that on a date one time. Okay, so it was one of those things where like, you're you're like okay somebody has just started seeing recently let's go out we want to go out to see a movie and then like they suggest she suggests a million ways to die in the west internally i'm like panicking because i'm like i know you know this movie is not this is not gonna be good and i know that you specifically are going to hate it but i also don't want to be the guy that's like shooting down your movie ideas so i'm like yeah let's go see million ways to die in the west and she did not like it did not care for it we didn't stay together that long yeah i heard the movie's not very good no there's one Really funny joke, which is in the trailer, so yeah. you can just watch that, where sure. the, the ice block falls on the I head. have seen that, yeah. It's very funny. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a really good idea for a Family Guy skit of, like, it's hard, it's easy to die in the old times. Yeah. And then there's a whole movie. Yeah. Um, I don't think we can ever, I don't know what we would do with that and Blazing Saddles, like. Oh, for, I mean, yeah, I guess you don't want to do that paired with any thing. Wet, just a Western. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Blazing Saddles isn't highbrow. No, I mean, it's higher brow than. Higher, yes. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, Neil Patrick Harris shits into a hat like four times in that movie. What is this movie about? <laughs> I don't remember, honestly. Neil Patrick, yeah, he shits in a hat a bunch of times. That's like it's like a big set piece in the movie. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Mulaners a little bit. Oh yeah, <laughs> I feel like we're getting off topic, but also because I think we don't want to like kill each other because we just disagree about this movie. It's okay. The thing is, like, I came into this movie wanting to like it because I remembered it. I remembered liking it more than I oh, enjoyed watching it. Yeah. Because I think, like, now even looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, it's so cool. They did so many cool things. Mm-hmm. It has such great energy. You mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of remember, like, the good parts of the song. I, I remember, like, the dance numbers without having to, like, hear the songs in my head. Yeah. And, yeah, on paper, it's great. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I just don't enjoy the experience of watching it. 
And it is such a long experience. This movie should be 87 minutes long and have two songs. It's funny you mentioned because when I sat down to watch it, I started a little later that night just because I was busy that day. And I was like, oh, man, I remember this movie being kind of long. And then I sat down and was like, oh, it's only like it's like two hours. And it was not like a long experience for me. I think I think I remembered it as being long because uh, it's just so much. Yeah. You know, it, and it's Baz Luhrmann, who is known as being an, really indulgent and very like particular and like um, and very expensive. So like I thought any Bosnian movie would be like very long and like because no one could tell him to cut anything, but this movie's not. I think I think it's like two hours, a little over. Yeah, but do you? I feel like this. Even if you are on board with everything in this movie, I think it could have benefited from being trimmed a little bit. Yeah, maybe I don't. But the thing, it's you get rid of one of the ballads, maybe. It's this thing of um, I don't want it. It's it is a slippery slope argument where I don't want to um. Like, I don't want to say, like, oh, this should be trimmed a little bit because I think part of what makes this movie work for me is how, like, untrimmable it is. Like, like how, yeah. like, I mean, Boss you're Lerman never going to, you're never going to get, like, a tight <laughs> plot out of this thing. <laughs> like, it's because this movie works because Boz didn't trim anything, I think. And I think you could, and I think it might be better, but, like, I feel like if you told Boz to trim, like, come at this movie from the perspective of, oh, you could trim a little bit there, trim a little that, like, you wouldn't get just the sheer, like, extravaganza yeah. of this thing. Like, but also, honestly, that's, ro- like, impossible to argue The with. Roxanne number is the thing you could trim without any effect to the movie. I think, uh... Well, no, it actually does have plot relevance because during that sequence, um, it's like the the Duke finds it, realizes that they're in love. He go like not it, by watching the he's song because he gets jealous during it the, while during the whole sequence while the song is playing. Oh yeah, like it's the whole thing is Christian is getting jealous, which also is very important to his um, his actions later in this in the movie because when he goes to like you know because he thinks Satine has like abandoned him, mm-hmm. um, he goes out into the street and then you know Satine also is like kind of tempted by the duke because she has been on the streets before and she yeah i mean i think that's, that's when like, she's getting the necklace right yes yeah yeah that's all the same sequence and then he she said she sees christian on the street down below and says no and then the duke flips out yeah and because he sees him too and then that's what kind of starts the downhill of like i'm gonna kill christian you have to tell christian you have to old deal or christian yeah but i just you know i don't want you anymore boy you know or yeah. not old yeller white fang uh, we had this conversation. Yeah, it's White Fang. On two, uh, it's White Fang. I'm editing the episode. Old Yeller now. is when he shoots him in the head in the back. Right. White Fang is when he just yells at him. Right. We. This is now. I'm editing the episodes now, and this came up in another episode. We should just have a cheat. We should have a post-it on the wall of like what Old Yeller, what happens to Old Yeller, and what happens in White Fang. <laughs> just things that always come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that, and Paul Giamatti is on billions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. And also, I think that, I mean, I know you don't like that sequence, but I think the sequence is very good. Um, it, the dancing's great. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, we, we don't have to relitigate that. Although I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I listen to that song just like at the gym sometimes. Yes, Roxanne. Roxanne is a good no, song. No, the Tangled You Roxanne. monster. <laughs> it's very good at the gym just because it's like very propulsive. Like very good for just like getting big and strong. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, I, that, I don't know. That's what I like about the movie. Is that like, it's, it's untrainable. It's so unique. It's like... Boz, I think, um, I've only ever seen Romeo Plus Juliet of his, which didn't really work for me as much. Mm. But Romeo Plus Juliet is very silly. I appreciate the swing. I think it does interesting things, but it doesn't feel like it gets Romeo and Juliet to me. Mm. Um, and I don't know. I, I haven't seen. I haven't seen Australia. I haven't seen The Get Down, which apparently was the most expensive TV show ever for six episodes. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like a very early Netflix like. Top, like first like six Netflix shows. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. I don't remember what it's about at all. It's it's like a bunch of kids growing up and they like music and it's a musical. Yeah. I think 
it was very good, but it was because it was Boz, it was very expensive. Yeah. And I think that's what you get with, with Boz Lerman. Yeah. And that's why he's... You, I appreciate that he is definitely an auteur. He's a capital A artist. making a bunch of decisions, yeah. and he has a singular vision. Mm-hmm. It's just insane, and I don't like it. <laughs> it's so unique. I don't know. I'm trying to think of another artist who is so... Uh, I mean, because obviously, like, I mean, like Wes Anderson is another example. Lars of, von Trier. Of someone who, like, every frame, like, those might be the only two who you could, if you watch three seconds of any other movie, you would immediately know whose movie it is. Oh, I see. You know, like, or vi- so, you mean visually? Yeah, who are so insanely, dis- like, visually distinctive. I mean, obviously, you know, like, a lot of directors you can recognize. Yeah. But Boz is so unique. And also, Boz is someone who, like, everyone knows. Even though I think he hasn't had like a, I thought a, I knew more Boz Lerman movies. Than I did. I just know four. him as like, yeah, I or just five. I think I'm like, oh yeah, Boz. We all know Boz and love him. <laughs> that <laughs> insane man. He's so he has this like space in the cultural consciousness. Even though he does not make a lot of movies, and not all of them are super well remembered. Mm-hmm. I guess Gatsby was a huge hit. I think people forget. Oh, how much I watched that recently. Oh, is it any good? No. Oh, it looks for it's much uh, kind of a lot like Moulin Rouge, where like it has like one really big set piece in the beginning. It's like awesome. And yeah. it never really recaptures that. Yeah, I I mean, my whole I, I, my issue with adaptations of Gatsby is they always lean in so much to the extravagance and they never really get like what makes its story like really sad. and yeah. beautiful. it does do a similar it does do the similar move of using kind of modern music. To, I have heard that, which honestly in Gatsby, it's a great idea because. 20s music just doesn't read as like party music no but it really is like it's a roaring 20s it's like everything's a big party and like if you were there and a person of that time it would have felt like you were at like i don't know a diplo show right yeah it would have been loud and angry and like not angry like just fucking crazy yeah yeah high energy like really fun like a just fun like yeah fun energy which yeah movie like understands how to get make you have that feeling yeah without using the then that you can't really do with contemporary music unless yeah. you're just really a fan of like whatever 20s music. Yeah, that I think that's a good take. I think that's mm-hmm. like a good thing. I mean, good take from Boz, good take from you. Mm-hmm. Um, I get. I mean, I don't know. My whole thing Gatsby is they always trying to make it a love story, and it's kind of not. Yeah. Um, and, and then like I don't love the performances. Leo's an interesting. It, Leo's. I mean, Leo's good at everything. He's a very interesting casting. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I haven't seen that performance. I kind of. I I do want to see it just for that. Yeah. I, think, I don't think of Gatsby as that like handsome and like. I, I see him as handsome, but he's a little more like, I don't know, we'll, like Robert Redford played him in the 70s, and like mm. that's not a very good movie, but he's like a very, he, he, he like is Gatsby because he's Robert Redford. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say without seeing the Leo performance, and I don't think I've ever seen a Leo performance I disliked. Yeah. I say, I think Toby is the part that's the weak point for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, and Toby, I like Toby Maguire. Oh. I, like, I love him as Peter Parker. Eh. I think he's the perfect Peter Parker. Picked a pack of pickled peppers. I can't back up anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a huge Tobey Maguire guy. I think he's fine. Apparently not a great person. Yeah. Um, probably going to show up in the next... I don't know. There's all these Spider-Man leaks. So he might be Spider-Man again. Oh. Yeah. Good for him. Cool. Yeah. Was he in the Pussy Posse? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it was him, Leo, and then just like a David bunch Blaine. of people who are not famous. David Blaine's my favorite inclusion. Like J.R. Ferguson, Lucas Haas. Yeah. Um, one, a, a con, maybe? Scott Conn? Oh, maybe. <laughs> it's James Conn. James, it's James Conn. James, you should, if you don't, uh, you should follow James Conn on Twitter. He's, oh. He ends every tweet with end of tweet. I like that. And it's all pretty wholesome. That way you know. Like, it's just like him, like remembering things from his long and illustrious career. I'm, I'm not being ironic or like mean to James Conn. Yeah. yeah, for Jesus. It's genuinely a really nice follow. No, I enjoy that. 
I'm not going to join Twitter for it, but no, uh, yeah. you shouldn't. I joined, I rejoined Twitter like four or five months ago. Like I really around when we started this podcast, cause I felt like, Oh, we should have like some sort of presence on Twitter between the two of us. And it's like, yeah. it just makes me angry. And I was just like, I would rather post eight, eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper on telephone poles than rejoin Twitter. <laughs> I think you're right. I think Twitter's not good for my brain. I do enjoy it. And got good jokes sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I like following, I like following film Twitter when they talk about film, mm-hmm. which is rare. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like any subgroup on the internet it is mostly dedicated to hating that thing. Yeah. I do enjoy the Martin Scorsese discourse when it happens every, uh, constantly, oh, yeah. which is basically whenever Marvel does anything good, a bunch of idiots come out of the woodwork and are like, Martin Scorsese couldn't do that. And just, I, I just like see yeah, it. And you're like, nor would he want to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember like, um, um, when WandaVision, there's a, a, a quote that went a little viral. It was like a, a, a line in the, about grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, from that show. Oh, yeah, I remember. And there are people like, oh, no, Martin Scorsese hasn't a line like that in one of his movies in years. I'm like, have you seen Silence? Silence is three hours of just that. <laughs> <laughs> that movie is not good. Well, it's good if you're very religious. It's an interesting movie. It's Martin Scorsese. But, like, if, if you just want, like, just, like, people saying sad things about grief and death and, like, afterlife, fucking check out Silence. That's what it is. Yeah. Watch a movie that doesn't have capes. All right. Is is Gangs of New York the lowest browse Marty movie? No. Cape Fear. Uh, no, Boxcar Bertha. Oh, well, I haven't seen that. I forgot about the existence <laughs> of that. No, I'm, I feel um, like that's like a prequel to Marty. Gangs of New York, I think, would probably be on the upper half of... I feel like Gangs of uh, New York is kind of like Moulin Rouge. Like, actually, we, we could do I mean, uh, higher low for Gangs of New York, but then I'd have to watch Gangs of New York. It's so long. It's very long. And I think it actually... I don't think it's a good movie. I don't... I agree. I don't think it's a good movie. I think it's doing interesting... Th- like, there's stuff to talk about because it's Marty. Yeah, it's I, Martin Scorsese. Every... Even his shitty movies have, like, really interesting things to do. I think doing. we're going to have to do it. Uh, can we like wait a little while? <laughs> and we're gonna do. I'm gonna do it in full costume. I'm gonna have a top hat. I think I'm gonna have some blades. I think that would be an interesting episode because I think we both agree on it a little more, but we're probably gonna take different things out of it. Mm-hmm. But also, we get to talk about uh, Danny Day. Oh yeah, DDL, yeah. DDL. We all love him. The, the the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, DDL sounds like a wrestling move. I guess it's DDT. Yeah, is the move. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean. Anything else we want to say about Moulin Rouge? I mean, I think I've I've spoken my piece about this movie that I think is really special to me. I think we've plumbed the depths of Moulin Rouge. I will say I don't I don't even know if I think it's a bad movie. I just did not enjoy watching it. It's I think I think that's like fair. I mean, I can't really like take that away from you. I yeah. mean, it it I can't say what I like about it is that it's unafraid of being hated and then get mad at you for hating it. You know, like that's the game you play with when you make something like Moulin Rouge. Yeah, and I feel like honestly, I think maybe Maybe I just don't like jukebox musicals. Like I really feel like if you took out a lot of the songs, I would enjoy it a lot better. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think about other jukebox music. Because like Mamma Mia is the only one I've seen like on screen, I think, off the top of my head. Um, and I, I, I mean, well, uh, yeah. Mamma Mia is what it is. It's I mean, funny. I've seen it on stage. It's very fun. For a second, I was going to say Rocky Horror, but just because I've heard those songs so, so much that I think of them as just existing. <laughs> Oh, man. Marky Horror is so good. Oh, yeah. It's great. What a special, special movie. I guess there's no argument for that being highbrow, is there? No, none at all. And I don't think it would want to be. No. I mean, it, it, I think they would be mad at us. If we even if we suggested the idea. that it would be highbrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that's, yeah. I think that's the last thoughts on, on Moulin Rouge. Theater kid energy, really out there. May not work for you. Love is good. Yeah, love is a many splendid thing. Um, oh, the thing we have to talk about before we stop talking about Moon Rouge. Okay. The opening credits where they play the Fox music and there's a little man conducting oh, the orchestra. Yes, that was great. Is 
So yeah, good. Very good. It is. It makes me so happy. I like a good little opening sequence gimmick. And it's not even that like he's like he's like getting into it. He's mm-hmm. just like fucking yeah, yeah. in his arms. What like The Simpsons has a really good one where it's just Ralph going or you have stuff like uh day after tomorrow where the fox logo is like it's like to get this like in a storm yeah like, i'm sure like, i don't know is like, it wb really... that always does the fun like the crazy is it warner that always does like they have some transition into their logo or out of their logo uh sometimes yeah okay. i know that um i think like the batman movies do it sometimes mm-hmm. like like i think you know because they have like it went like through cold. the bat or something yeah, yeah stuff like that and then um, there's and a Paramount one in the in Crystal Skull, right? I have not seen Crystal Skull. Oh yeah, you know, in a par- it's the Paramount Mountain, and then it it a match cuts to a molehill, and the mole comes out of it. Oh, that's kind of fun. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm not gonna see that movie. It's fun. I mean, pair it with something. It's better watch than it. people say it is. It's not good. Y- you know, maybe <laughs> I haven't seen. It. <laughs> yeah, um, and I like that the. Um, just circling back to my last Moulin Rouge point, I like that the little uh, credit conductor man comes back at the end. Yeah. And he's sad because Aww. the movie's sad at that point. Yeah. And it's like the end of the sad thing. How think, do they not all have tuberculosis? I thought tuberculosis was like really contagious. I don't know how tuberculosis... Okay, one, you don't actually know that she has tuberculosis, but it's, it's very heavily implied. Yeah. And I don't... If she doesn't... I don't know. It's So it's basically uh, La Boheme is what they're doing. Mm. Um, in, you know, which which was then like adapted into Rent, and so like it was tuberculosis in La Boheme, it's AIDS in Rent, mm. and it's very similar in that like it's this writer who like falls in love with a dancer who has, you know, like that's what is, is that Rent. what Rent's about? Yeah, Rent is Mark is a filmmaker. Oh, but but then oh sorry, it's Roger is a musician and he falls in love with Mimi who is a dancer or a stripper and she has AIDS. Oh. and he has AIDS. Hmm. A lot of them have AIDS. Huh. Rent is great actually. I, I came into this armed with like Rent takes too because I think Rent and. Moulin Rouge have that similar kind of very like unabashed like art is important love is important energy yeah is there um, a rent movie coming out uh well tick tick boom is coming out right yeah what's that um that is uh about the life it's about the life of Jonathan Larson it's like uh oh okay Jonathan Larson who wrote rent but died in previews when it was still being you know previewed got it he had a heart condition if I remember correctly it's uh about it's like it's like autobiographical and it was he never it was only ever like off off Broadway Tick, tick, boom. I, don't quote me on this. Don't come after me. I don't actually know, but like that's the vibe. I think, it's okay. I think we can take the theater nerds who would come after you. <laughs> uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's directing it. Oh, cool. Uh, which I think is interesting. I'm, I'm very excited for that. I think Larson's an interesting guy, and I think Rent's... Uh, um, I think Rent gets a bad rap these days. Um, yeah, as kind of like the like archetypical like theater nerd Yeah, and production. I think that's... I think the Rent, the show, knows that. I think it's trying to be bold by saying, like, yeah, we believe in this artistic life. Hmm. Also, I just want to make this point, while we're on the subject of Rent, everyone's always like, oh, why should we sympathize with the people in Rent? They should just pay their rent, right? Well, in the first fucking song of the play, they make clear that Benny, their, who was their roommate, said they didn't have to pay rent that year, and then he changed his mind and made them pay rent to pressure them into not doing a show against them turning an open, a empty lot where homeless people live into another apartment complex. I think it just blacked out. It's the plot of the movie that they d- were told they didn't have to pay rent, and then they have to pay rent. Hmm. So it's not like they're just like, we don't want to pay rent because we're a bunch of bums. It's like they... they, they didn't budget, Benny's the they bad guy. They didn't budget for it. They didn't budget for the rent. Yeah. Benny said the last year's rent that he let slide... He said they were golden when they were roommates. Oh, my God. Now you're telling me the lyrics to this? I, yes. I am quoting the opening lines of Are you Rent. trying to kill me? I love your words. I love Rent so much. Oh, okay. um, Rent's really great. I'm never going to see it. I just I know the, I'm not going to like it, and that's fine. The movie is not amazing. Mm. The more recent one. Yeah. Um, I think partially, it's just because they're it's the original Broadway cast mostly, and they're all a lot older. 
Oh, interesting. And so, like, they're all in, like, their late 30s. And, like, doesn't read because they're supposed to be a young, struggling artist in New York. Yeah, I think in general, they direct it as a lot, very basic, like, uh, not basic, but very, like, by the books Hollywood musical. And Mm -hmm. you never really read them as struggling artists. And I think that movie doesn't quite recover from that. Interesting. But the songs are fucking fantastic. And Mm. Rent is great. Yeah. Um, this is a rent podcast and I don't care if you agree with me or not. I think based on my knowledge of rent, <laughs> I'm going to have to go on board. Um, quit, uh, quiz? Would play, you like to play a game? Let's play a game. Okay. So um, tell this, me what you got. Oh, d- tell us what to say for the listeners at home who maybe this is their first episode. You know, oh they- yeah. So <laughs> we, we, uh, we start playing a quiz game to close out the show, which is one of us picks a quiz from, or a list from somewhere online. And we give prompts to have the other person try to guess what the movies are. Yep. And this list is movies that star Sting. Okay. It is the bottom five movies on Rotten Tomatoes that star the pop musician Sting. This is going to be tough. I don't know any movies that star Sting. You know these movies. Okay, fine. It's the bottom the bottom, bottom five. Yeah. Okay. And and the connection to Moulin Rouge is Roxanne. Yes. Okay. This I like this because this is I think you're sending a message subtly, which is that you hate that sequence, so you're picking <laughs> the bottom five. Yes. This is very, very uh I, I, I I'm did, giggling inside. I didn't want to just do best musicals because I didn't yeah, think that'd be fun. Yeah, I think you need and I think we're realizing it's more fun to do these specific ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. What we got? The first one is a sequel to a two thousand one comedy. A sequel to a two thousand one uh comedy. Um, Zoolander two. Yes. All right. Cool. Love it. All right. Moving on. Next one. I, I, I don't. Have no, I have no takes on Zoolander two. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even. I see. I've seen it. I don't remember it. Okay. The next one. I don't know if you've seen this. I haven't. Hadn't heard of it. It's okay. a 1985 movie based on a book from the 19th century. Oh. Um. Is it? I mean, I was gonna say is it a period piece. I'm a fucking idiot. Um. Yeah. Unless like, yeah. it's a book from the 19th century that takes place in 1985. And Ebert said he liked the original film better. So it's also been a film. Mm. I mean, it, it's been a film this time, too. Yeah, it's it's also, yeah. It has previously <laughs> been adapted. Um, hmm. Uh, adaptation. Is it, it's not a musical. No. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you like the, the easy hint. Okay. Sting's character is named Charles, but in the book, he's named Victor. Oh, no, I'm not getting it. What is it? It's The Bride. The Bride. It's yeah. a Frankenstein. Oh, adaptation. I, what? Yeah. What is this movie? It's the, it's it's Sting is the lead. He plays Charles Frankenstein. Which for I, for some incomprehensible reason, they renamed him from Victor Frankenstein to Charles, and they named the monster Victor. So the monster has a name. Uh, I, you can't see it at home. My face is just twisted into confusion. I know. Right now. I think I think they were like I think he's like a producer trying to be like this monster needs a name. Everyone fucks up the name of the monster. Can I ask who directed this movie? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, it is directed by Frank Rodham. God bless you, Frank Rodham. And it also starring Jennifer Beals. Oh, good for her. Mm-hmm. Not not. She's is she on Grey's Anatomy? What's she doing? Uh, is she? I don't recognize her from Grey's Anatomy. Sorry, I, know, I think I remember we looked it up once, like where she's been. She's been like working kind of steadily in TV recently. Uh, the L word? No, L- oh, the, 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 L new, word. the new the L, L word. word. Yeah, yeah, because she was in the original L word and they brought it back. Uh, so wait, so Sting plays the scientist. Yeah, he plays Frankenstein. Who plays the monster? Uh, ooh, good who question. plays Victor? None of this matters to the quiz. I'm just curious. I want to know about this. And then, movie. so Beals is like the bride of Frankenstein. I love it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Clancy Brown? What? That's great. I love Clancy Brown. Oh, I don't know who Clancy Brown is. Google him. 
He's, oh, he's in Shawshank. Yeah, he's the warden in Shawshank. Oh, he's in like uh, he's in SpongeBob. He, he's uh, uh, what's his name? Yeah, he's, he's Mr. Krabs. He's Mr. Krabs. Oh, he is um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, what's his name from uh, Starship Troopers? Star- Sergeant Zim. Yeah, he's the one who catches the bug at the end, and then like Neil Patrick Harris, like in oh. the end, it wasn't all our it, fancy weapons. It was a staff sergeant named Zim. It fears us. Yeah, I. We need to talk about. We, Starship we should probably Troopers. watch this movie. Oh, oh, Starship Troopers. Yes, we should, that's a good movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's. I think that's pretty handily lowbrow, but I also think that movie is brilliant. Yeah, the bride. The um, I was looking for a poll quote from Ebert, and the only thing I find was like a segment from Siskel and Ebert where they're talking about the most disappointing <laughs> movies of 1985. Disappointing. What what expectations did they? Because I think they were really hyped up. It, it seemed like they were really hyped up for it going into it. I think there is this thing where Frankenstein the book is so good. Obviously, mm-hmm. like one of the greatest books ever written. Right. And the original movies are kind of fun in their own way. They're very good in their own way. So, like, I think there's always been this dream that someone could do a real Frankenstein movie. That yeah, because there isn't. We were, we were talking about this in another episode, weren't we? Yeah. How there's not really, like, a straight-up Frankenstein adaptation. I think we were talking about that about vampires. Oh, it was about it, vampires, yeah. Yeah, so, there, I mean, there's the Frankenstein from the 30s, which is, like, I, I like it, but it's not really the book. Mm-hmm. And then people keep trying. I mean, uh, I always do, like, a cutesy take on it. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh tried to do one in the 90s with uh, De Niro as the monster. And I think the movie is not very well regarded, but I, I haven't seen it. Mm. And Del Toro, you know, Del Toro was working on it. It was one of the that seven. That would be very good. That would be maybe the best movie I've ever made. Yeah. But I think it fell apart. It was around that time when he was also working on The Hobbit and a bunch of other things. And yeah. Which is one of those things that fell through the cracks. I wonder what his Shape of Water to Creature from Black Lagoon of Frankenstein? Frankenstein would be. I know. It's, I mean, well, I mean, Kronos is kind of. Have Kronos has is a vampire thing, though. Yes, but I think it, it has that energy if he turns himself into this thing and humanity. I think there's Frankenstein energy in Kronos. Interesting. Um, have you seen Kronos? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we watched it together. We watched it together, yeah. Good movie. Yeah, great movie. Um, okay, what are some other movies? Okay, next one. Quiz, next quiz, one. Quiz, okay, okay, so there's uh, the third movie. Uh, Ebert said, this movie is a real mess, an incomprehensible, ugly, unstructured, pointless excursion into the murkier realms of one of the most confusing screenplays of all time. What? That's all you're giving me? What, okay, what it, was origi- it was originally written as one film, but then condensed into two. Or it was, condensed into sorry, two? Yeah, and then condensed. Sorry, I, I I wrote it backwards. It was originally written as two films and then condensed into one. Um, What year did it come out? That's a great question. It's in the 80s. It's in the 80s. Freaking sting. Okay, and then here's another one. It required 80 sets built on 16 sound stages and had a total crew of 1,700 with over oh. 20,000 extras. Is this like, like a legendary flop that I would have heard of? Yes. Oh, um, it was Heaven's Gate? Mo- it was, no, it was all filmed in Mexico. Uh, Ishtar? Mm-mm. Ah, oh, man, those things on Ishtar. What am I saying? Um, I mean, Waterworld is the other one that's like a big It's flop. been more recently adapted. Oh, uh, as, as a film or as a TV show? As a film. Oh. Is that film good? Yes. Oh, it's Dune. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, because yeah. <laughs> so I just, the the other thing was I was going to say like, uh, interestingly, Sting's character doesn't appear in the new Dune. Uh, who is he playing in this one? Oh, it's some gobbledygook it, name. It's, it's fine. Stacker Pentecost. Maybe. He is. That's ha- you, you've read the, oh, You've read the books, right? Uh, I read the first book. I'm not going to recognize the He's name. He's Fade Rotha. Yeah, no worries. Okay. Him. And then um, and I was going to say many of the my final hint, if you didn't get it, was many of the exterior shots were filmed in the Sa- Samalayuca dune fields in Ciudad Juarez. Oh, fun. Yeah, yeah I would have gotten from dune fields. Yeah, because exactly. I would have remembered dune. I, you, have you seen the David Lynch dune? Yes, I want to like it desperately and it's not very good. Yeah, I really like the new it dune. It looks great. Yeah, new dune, very good. New dune's great. Um, yeah, I don't know. Except I have for, nothing else except to say. for Zendaya, who I do not. I have a personal hey, vendetta against hey. Zendaya for being bad at acting. Hey, Cooper. 
Zendaya's Michi. I know, and I will never forgive her for it. <laughs> okay, moving right along. Uh, in this movie, Sting appears in to have been cast based entirely on his name. The B movie? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> Ebert's review starts with a quote from Karl Marx. That's the one you got, not Dune. I thought you would get Dune way quickly. I mean, Sting. I mean, I don't know yeah. how many how many movies are there about bees. There's <laughs> one, and sort of Mr. Holmes. Yeah, <laughs> the cast of B movies is insane. Yeah, because it was it was Seinfeld's first thing after Seinfeld. Then he he was like, I want to make a movie where I'm a bee. So yeah. he just called in every favor, I assume. Yeah, and then Ebert. So Ebert's review has like an epigraph, and it's a quote from Karl Marx that from each according to his ability to each according to his need, which is very <laughs> highbrow way to start off your B movie review. I mean, Ebert would sometimes just like get in his own and just like have yeah. a really weird sense of humor about shit. Yeah. Um, okay, <laughs> next one. Uh, Ebert's review, he says, the title character of this movie makes Bruce Valanche seem like Mike Ditka. <laughs> the title character? Yes. Uh, what a, I'm tr- struggling to imagine what he means by that. Uh, the title, the, the, the main character originally fe- appeared in, on a TV series for Channel 4. Oh. Um, hmm. Alan Partridge? Mm-mm. Channel 4, because Channel 4 is like BBC, right? Mm-hmm. Originally appeared on that. I mean, they never made like a Black Adder movie. I'm just trying to think of like British comedy things. Uh, the creator of the movie faced a $110 million lawsuit and death threats after the release of the movie. Oh. And Sting uh, plays himself. Oh. Oh, is it um, is it a Sasha Baron Cohen thing? Yes. Is it Bruno? Yeah. Okay. It's Bruno. Yeah. In, yeah, the final clue is in this, <laughs> Paula Abdul sits on a person in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually never seen Bruno. It's um I have I saw it in theaters when it came out. I thought it was funny but not as good as Borat at the time. I don't know how well it ages. Yeah, I um I'm scared to go back to it. it just, I'm a little scared too. I'm even a little scared to like say that I liked it at the time. We we can we can bleep all this out if you want. No. I'm I've been I'm doing in. the editing now and the bleeping's fun. No. Nah. It, it, it's oh, I mean Okay, if you want to bleep stuff, my social security <laughs> number is there we go. That'll be a great callback for people listening to episode three. Please actually bleep that. <laughs> I will bleep that. That is my social why do you security keep reading, number. Why do you keep reading your actual phone number and social number? You could just say numbers and it would oh, be you fine. Mean- uh, yes, that's exactly what I mean. I mean, you could just be saying random numbers right now. No, but instead I'm saying... saying- um, uh, okay, quiz. <laughs> is there anything left? That's the quiz. Okay. End quiz. End, end of quiz. End of quiz. Good stuff. Um. Yeah, this was fun. I mean, what do you think about the the? I like these debate episodes. I think it might be good to mix. Yeah, it in. I think it's a good. I think part of the reason why I want to do more of these is that it allows us to have some weeks where we'll only have to watch one movie to record a podcast episode, which I think is also good for uh, viewers, our, our listeners and viewers. Oh yeah, <laughs> looking around for a camera. Yeah, people watching their phone the viewers are me and you yeah. staring at each other yeah. right now. um yeah for the people listening you know i think you know it might be nice to only have to listen to one and also means that you know we can uh kind of see some of the movies that we are harder to pair yeah like i don't really know what we would pair with moulin rouge well I guess musicals yeah we could do the moulin rouge from the 50s but i don't think anyone's rent? seen that movie rent, oh that would be a good one yeah yeah rent and moulin rouge um yeah i don't know it was fun no. uh any recommendations? recommendations yeah um i uh, watched house party recently and it was very fun the um it's kid kid and player in it mm-hmm. it's got martin lawrence it's just like i don't know it's just like a uh nine i think it's 1990 so it's like a late 
kind of like late 80s early 90s feel just like how teen teen comedy super yeah. fun there's a couple scenes that don't age super well there's always there's always some of those but uh it's super fun and they rap in it and they're actually like professional rappers so they're good and it's, good. it's super fun yeah yeah um i guess my recommendation um kind of a different one but uh me and jess have been watching uh mr robot uh i've already seen all of it but it's the first time for her rewatch for me uh really really good show um i know we talked about it a little bit on the um the Bohemian Rhapsody episode, but I'm now that I'm rewatching it now, I think uh, really holds up. It's really, I uh, I think the filmmaking's fantastic. I think it's like daring and interesting in a way that like a lot of, you know, we talk a lot about how like maybe we're outside of the golden age of television, mm-hmm. but we're in peak TV. I think Mr. Robot might be kind of the tail end of the golden age of That's shows that are really trying to do artsy and interesting things. That's an interesting take that uh, I haven't heard. Especially, I mean, season one, I think is a lot more classic TV I mean, it, it's kind of built around a couple of different mysteries, a little more accessible. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole mystery of who Mr. Robot is exactly hasn't been revealed yet, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I'll get into that later. Anyway, the um, but yeah, so I think it's seasons two, three, and four, especially, it really kind of blows up, and and you kind of tell like, what the show always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. It like it's kind of secretly a couple of different shows. I don't know it's hard to describe without really spoiling it, but if you if you watch season one of Mr. Robot and kind of fell off because two got really weird, if you're interested in some really interesting like artistic television with some really good performances. Uh, I really recommend going back to it. It's all on Amazon prime. Uh, and you kind of get a sense of like why Rami Malek is like, I think still pre revered as an actor. Cause he's so, so good in the show. Nice. Yeah. Um, and you know, a great Christian Slater performance. Yeah. I, a man <laughs> whose performances I cannot stand watching. <laughs> he's very, very good. In Mr. Robot. He, how, it, what, what is he? Is he in, um, Heather's probably. I think he's in Heather's. I, I just find Heather. him, I just find him so smarmy. I'm sure he's a fine. I don't know if he's a fine person, but like I'm not judging him as a person based on this. But I, he's just this like smarmy performance always that makes me upset. Yeah. Um. But that's like yeah. I, I think that's what a lot of good t- great no, TV. I'm done. thinking of True Romance. Oh, I haven't seen. True I Romance. can't take True Romance seriously because I just find him so creepy, and he's he's not trying to play it creepy. Interesting. I haven't seen. Yeah, you know, it be, might also be in Heather's, but that wasn't what I was thinking of. A good pairing that we can't do because no one would have seen these movies, but Badlands and True Romance, because True Romance I is like doing Badlands. Badlands. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that would be. I mean, maybe we should just watch those movies and talk about them. Like off people mic. like True Romance. True, True Romance, I think, is is more widely seen. But I think Badlands is very much unless you are a film person. Yeah. Um, but I think the movie is like just tremendous. Yeah, it's a kind of a Bonnie and Clyde story. It's very good. Yeah. Um, okay, I think that's all I got. Um, this is fun. Next yeah. week we'll be back with, I think, more of a st- uh, standard episode. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe. Rate, review, subscribe. Let us know what you think. Uh, thank you for listening. All this right. has been uh, great. And goodbye. Bye forever. Forever.